the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined tonight by Rotographs contributor Blake Murphy. Tonight we're talking preseason power breakout candidates and pitcher streaming strategy. Now, Blake, I have to admit, I am very excited to have the first guest from Canada on the show with us tonight. And, you know, everything I learned from Canada was what I've seen on South Park. Yeah, blame Canada. That's a, that's a common first response. I'm glad I could be the first Canadian to, to come on, though, and hopefully I make uh, make us all look good, although I think it's just me and, and maybe Jonah Carey um, holding Canada down. So, Are you insulted by the whole blame Canada and the, and the way that that show makes you guys look? No, of course not. They're, the South Park creators are Canadian. Well, they're from Denver. Are you sure? Yeah. I thought, I thought one of them was Canadian. I don't think so, but maybe I'm just crazy. I, maybe maybe someone told me that, so they were like, "Hey, they're allowed to they're allowed to say this," you know, kind of like the uh, "Oh, I have a black friend" defense, so you can make right, jokes, right? Uh, I, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna start things off as usual with the most interesting player alive today, and that, of course, is the most searched for player on Fangraphs. And surprise, surprise, it's Tony Singrani. Of course, another dominating outing today. Six innings, 11 strikeouts, only one walk. So, Blake, what are the Reds going to do about Singrani? Can they really send him back down to the minors when Johnny Cueto returns? First of all, I just looked this up while you were talking there. Uh, one of them's from Colorado. One of them's from Texas. These South Park hey, creators. I, so I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm talking I'm about. I'm right as always. Never argue with the host. <laughs> yeah. So a- anyone who's going to listen for the next half hour, just basically take anything I say with a giant grain of salt and just uh, just mostly ignore it. Uh, anyway, as far as Singrani goes, no, I don't think they can send him down. Um, they have other options that are maybe more likely. Uh, Mike Leak, you could try and transition to the pen. Singrani's just been too good, and I know that scouts weren't like super high on him, and, and this level of performance wasn't completely expected. But I've went out of my way to watch each of his starts on MLB TV because I'm a, a happy fantasy owner, and he's definitely passing the eye test. These don't look like lucky strikeouts; he looks like the real deal. Yeah. Now, all right, explain this to us because this is a guy that throws coming into today's start 78% fastballs and with a 92-mile-per-hour average velocity. Now, that's not blow-em-away velocity, and that's kind of Ross Detweiler-esque from the left side in the percentage of fastballs thrown. And Ross Detweiler isn't exactly a strikeout artist. So what is it about Singrani that he's generating so many swings and misses, and he's essentially almost a one-pitch pitcher? How is he doing this? I, I'm I'm not sure really uh, how that fastball is getting over so often so effectively. Like you said, it's not it's not that quick. It's about 92. He's getting whiffs on 27 percent of the the fastballs he throws per uh, per Brooks baseball. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that because he's got good velocity separation on his secondary pitches, like his changeup comes in at about 84, and, and the slider or the curve, depending on where you look, it's classified differently. But that comes in even slower at like 78. 
Um, maybe it's making it so that even though the fastball isn't that lively, uh, guys can't really sit on it too much because there's such a drastic uh, drop with the secondary offerings. But like you said, the fastball, uh, the proportion he throws them is pretty serious. And I'd have to look uh, a little more deeply and see whether the vertical and horizontal movement on his fastball is a little greater than other pitches because he's got to be doing something, uh, you know, he's got to be doing something special to get that 92 thing over so often. Yeah, and you know, I had read in scouting reports of Singrani that his delivery, there's some deception in the delivery. Now, I'm not a scout, obviously, and I've only watched some starts on TV, and I can't really see the deception in his delivery. But assuming that the scouts are right and it's there, that would make sense and lead to more strikeouts from that fastball if the batters can't pick up the ball coming out of his hand based on his delivery. And assuming that's true... I feel like first time around and the first time uh, a team actually faces him, he might continue to dominate. But maybe the second time around the league, he's got to start mixing in his other pitches. Otherwise, he might really get hit hard. You can't really survive as essentially a one-pitch pitcher. I I mean, there's a couple of guys who are doing it. As I mentioned, Detweiler, uh, Matt Thornton, but he's a reliever and he throws 95. So I just can't see long-term success throwing fastballs 80% of the time. Yeah, it it makes sense what you said. If it is deceptive, maybe it pops out of his hand a little later. um, Or if his release is late, maybe that can make that 92 feel more like, you know, 94. But yeah, that's not making it a 95, 96-mile-an-hour fastball. It'll be definitely interesting. We'll have to to watch closely the first time he faces an opponent for the second time. Although in the early going, his second time through the order, I don't think has been... uh, that much worse than his first time, but maybe it takes a little bit of video and uh, a little bit of a little bit more than one plate appearance to adjust to him. Yeah, absolutely. And you said you're an owner in one of your leagues, correct? Yeah. So I have a league where um, at the end of our auction, we do a four or five round prospect draft, snake style, and I had selected Anthony Ghost and um, wrong, wrong Anthony. <laughs> Pardon me. Wrong Anthony. You wanted the Anthony yeah. Roddy one. Yeah, so I had I had drafted him kind of uh, just for, you know, stolen base potential late in the year if he got called up. And then um, that same day, Singrani threw his uh, however many perfect innings he threw in the minor leagues with like 15K. And I figured I was the only one looking at that. And then I looked into him a little more and uh, I messaged a buddy of mine who's who was up. And I was like, hey, you know, uh, there's another guy I got my eye on. Do you want Anthony Ghost? And you can let me have this pick. So he said, yeah, sure. I could use stolen bases. I'm a Jays fan. I'll take it. Um, yeah, and then I, I snuck in there and got Singrani. So basically, I, I had to take a, a mulligan on my one prospect selection to get him. So I got a little lucky. And then uh, in this league, once you call a guy up off your prospect list, you can't put him back down on the prospect list. There's no options. So you got to keep him on your roster or lose him. So it was, a, it was a tough call whether or not to call him up. And I'm happy so far. But as you point out, maybe once he starts facing teams for a second, third time, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to watch out. So this is a keeper league, I assume. Oh, yeah. Okay, so are you getting to the point where you're considering selling high on Singrani? Um, probably not, just because the, the way um, our keepers work in this league is that uh, there's a light keeper tax on guys if you want to keep them into the, next, into the next year. And guys who were drafted via the prospect draft are essentially given a $1 value. Um, so then you put the keeper tax on top of that. He'll have some value for two or three years for me still in terms of uh, auction value. So I, I won't sell high on him yet unless, 
you know, unless he starts to show warning signs in games that aren't showing up on the stats, and then I can be like, you know, maybe I should pump the brakes. But for right now, I'm going to hang on. All right, sounds good. So I wanted to move on to some hitting discussion. And your work is also found on the fantastic website Beyond the Box Score, part of the SB Nation. Uh, There's a million blogs on SB Nation. It's insane. I think there's over 300. Is that correct? Yeah, I know there's one for each team in all four of the major sports. Then there's uh, some college ones. There's there's everything. I think there's 316 or 318 or something like that. I think you're yeah. right. It's a nutty amount, but but you have some great stuff on Beyond the Box Score. And before the season began, you wrote an article discussing power breakout candidates and started with the John Dewan study and, and breaking down candidates from there. So why don't you explain what the methodology of your article was all about? Yeah, so I kind of had to take my initiation, take my lumps. Every uh, Sabre writer's got to try and improve on John Dewan's uh, work at some point. So basically what Dewan thought uh, back in... I don't know, I think 2006 or something like that. He basically said, you know, spring stats don't matter, but guys who have a slugging percentage jump of at least 200 points or at least 400 points in spring training, you know, that predicts uh, a breakout in terms of slugging percentage later that year. So I took that and I was like, you know what? It hasn't been that efficacious in the past. You know, it's basically a, a coin flip or a little better than a coin flip in IDing them. But Baseball Reference this year had this new thing called opponent quality for spring training. So you could see, you know, what were these guys teeing off on single-A pitchers and double-A pitchers, or were they facing triple-A and major league pitchers? So I tried to factor that in to kind of filter it down a little further. Um, the early returns are a little mixed, and the list that it spit out was still a little too large. So in the future, I'm hoping we can, uh, or I can work to narrow it down even further and, and get it to a point where... Those are reliable, but I mean, you can't not try and guess a power breakout, but if you're going off of spring stats, there's only so much you can do, and, and you'll see that in the early results if you look at who showed up on that list. Right, and, and my initial issue with the study that Dewan did was that he used slugging percentage. Why didn't he use isolated slugging percentage so we only look at the uh, power stats? I mean... Slugging percentage includes singles, and you could have a guy like Ichiro who hits 600 in spring training, has all singles, his slugging percentage is 600 as well, and you compare that to his regular season slugging, let's say, let's say it's 400. Oh, look at that, it's a 200 increase of slugging rate, but it was all singles, so that's not an increase in power. So why was an isolated slugging used instead? Yeah, that's a great point, and it's something that I'm hoping to do this coming off season. I don't have... Um, the SQL skills down yet to do databasing and stuff. But once I have that, it'll make looking back in history a lot more easy, um, a lot easier, sorry, to speak properly. Um, right now, it would be a lot of Excel work and a, and a big pain to go back and do that. But you're right that that should be more predictive. And if we're looking for power breakouts, not just generic breakouts or who had a, a lucky spring, then you're right. We should be using ISO. Okay, let's move move on to some specific names. Brandon Belt, huge spring. He was a prospect previously, and he was a disappointment last year. And so far this year, only one home run, a .093 isolated slugging rate. What do we make of him? I mean, is this guy a bust, or do you still think that there's breakout potential in the future? I, I think it's too early to call him a bust still. 
I mean, a lot of the shine has come off of him to the point that we might be looking at a, a post-hype sleeper down the road if he continues to struggle for another year or so. Um, right now, I don't know what the issue is. Like, he, he's swinging at more pitches outside of the zone, but other than that, his plate discipline um, stats haven't really gone askew. Um, he seems to be stinging the ball pretty well, but his BABIP is right in line with what you would expect from his batted ball profile. Maybe may a little unlucky, but not extremely unlucky. And then, you know, when I've watched Giants games, he seems to be passing the eye test okay. He looks pretty decent up at the plate. So I wonder if it's still just an extended bout of bad luck or or if maybe he just he just doesn't have it right now. Maybe it's in his head the, uh, the hot spring uh, mixed with a cold start got in his head a little bit and he's pressing right now. Yeah, what's interesting about him is he showed great play patience in the minors. His uh, walk rate last year was 11.4%. But this year, he's not walking very often, only a 6% walk rate. So I'm wondering if he's pressing and he's becoming too aggressive and not waiting for a pitch that he can drive. I wonder how much that has to do with it. Yeah, it's possible. I I think his overall swing rate isn't up that much, but that obviously doesn't tell you uh, a ton because, you know, that doesn't tell you much about pitch sequencing and stuff like that. So it is possible for sure that he's, you know, falling behind in counts, trying to be a little too aggressive early on and, and not going deep in counts waiting for his pitch. That's definitely possible. I haven't watched enough Giants games to, to be able to tell probably, but when I have watched, I, at least the swings that I see, um, he looks, he still looks like a good baseball player and a guy you would expect to be, to produce when you watch him at the plate. Yeah. Well, I, well if nothing else, I think that he makes a decent by low guy in an NL only league. I wouldn't touch him in a mixed league because he was probably borderline replacement level to begin with. But in an NLE league, you have the upside. You get a couple of steals as well. He's got a great batted ball profile. I mean, he's hitting line drives like crazy, which he began last year. He's not popping it up uh, more than the league average, and he's hitting a healthy number of fly balls. So that looks fantastic. It's just a matter of actually turning those fly balls into home runs. So... Yeah, it's difficult to to put your finger on exactly what that is. And, you know, as with any discussion we're having this early in the year, it's still a relatively small sample. But we're getting to the point where, you know, we're 15% or so into the season. So even if there is, uh, you know, some variance or regression coming to help him out, you know, we know that Bruce Bochy doesn't love playing young players, uh, heavy workloads. He could be in danger of losing some playing time and then, you know, he won't have ample plate appearances to for those corrections to take place. So he's got to kind of get it together soonish. Um, so as a, as a guy who owns him in one place, it's a, a deep mixed league. You know, I, I'm looking at cutting bait just because there's so many other first base outfield options out there. Yeah, I mean, you don't really want a guy whose upside is 20 home runs from the first base spot. Right. So it's a problem. And even though he might contribute in stolen bases... And that's nice. It's still a problem when he's going to be a negative in home runs, runs scored, RBIs, and he might not be positive in batting average. He'll be a one-category guy at first base, and that steals. And that's just odd. And Yeah, and he's not going to steal 20 of them, I don't think. No. He's going to steal maybe 10 or a dozen. Um, yeah, and the thing with him this year in particular, if it's a keeper league, it might be a different story. But if you cut bait with him right now, he... I don't think his 2013 has the upside where at the end of the season you could be kicking yourself and be like, damn, I really messed up dropping him. Um, I think he could still have a stellar season, but I don't think he's going to put together five months where if you drop him right now, it's going to cost you your league. 
That's probably true. I wanted to move on to a deeper name on this list, and that's Jason Castro. Also had a big spring training, and that actually started last September. He hit four home runs and 52 at-bats. And so I believe one of your colleagues in Beyond the Box score uh, mentioned Castro as his number one breakout candidate based on other criteria of finishing the season strongly in the power department. So, of course, Castro hasn't exactly lived up to that breakout potential. Also only one home run in 76 at-bats and a 132 isolated slugging uh, percentage. Yeah, and, and that was Louis Paulus at Beyond the Box score. He's basically... Um... You know, every every year he looks for quote unquote the next Jose Batista, and Jose Batista's uh, huge power surge the other season was, um, you know, it was prefaced with a huge September the year before. So the idea is maybe guys who you know put it together in September, and then along with having a great spring, those two things together, you know, a lot of signs pointing in the direction uh, of Castro being better. And I think Eno Saras had a had a nice piece where he talked to Castro early in the year about some of the changes he's made and. Even though the home runs haven't come yet and the ISO is not there, he's only got the one dinger. Um, his fly ball percentage is, is up pretty significantly, and his line drive percentage is really strong. So this is a guy who's putting a good sting into the ball, and I think it's a matter with the home runs. If you're looking at a guy who's only going to hit maybe 15, 18 home runs, you know, those might come in, in small bunches, and you might only hit one home run over a three-week span. I, I'm not worried about Castro yet. He's a guy, too, that, you know, calling him a, a breakout was – a bit generous just because even if he did break out, he's still probably not going to be owned in one catcher leagues, uh, mixed leagues. Uh, but NL only guys don't give up on him yet because, or AL only, sorry, Astros are in the American league now. Um, I wouldn't give up on him just yet because the batted ball, pro batted ball profile is nice. And, uh, you know, there should be maybe a dozen home runs the rest of the, rest of the way in there. Yeah. I was really kind of getting on board with Castro after seeing his spring surge and reading the articles. I, this was a guy who was a pretty good prospect uh, years ago in the Astros system. And although his minor league numbers aren't that exciting, he's shown great walk and strikeout rates. And right now his batted ball profile is fantastic. He actually has not hit one pop-up all season long, which is going to help his batting average, but obviously doesn't really affect his power. Uh, but here's a guy also that you know I've seen play. And he just, in the batter's box, he just looks like a guy who should be a good hitter. Of course, that's a terrible analysis, but he just seems that way. And I think he does make a pretty good buy low guy in AL only, and it, he shouldn't cost much at all given his uh, meager history. And I don't think his upside is that great, but given the cost that it'll likely be uh, to acquire him, I, I think it's probably worth going after him, especially if you're in an on-base percentage league because he's shown good walk rates in the past. They haven't manifested yet this year, but he has the potential to be an asset there compared to other catchers. Yeah, and if you're in a daily league, just make sure to avoid playing him against lefties. He's not into a strict platoon yet, but he hasn't uh, he hasn't shown much of an ability to hit lefties, but that's only a, a minor concern when you're talking about the back catcher position because those guys need a couple days off a week anyway, so... Um, doesn't really limit his upside if he doesn't improve against lefties. Yeah. All right, moving on to another guy who is still stuck in the zero home run club. That's Mike Moustakis, and he was actually dropped in my 12-team mixed league. And I don't really have any obvious drop candidates, so as much as I'd love to pick him up and just stick him on my bench for the time being, I might not, and he might just sit on free agency for a little while. I, that'll be interesting to see. Do you think 
that this is a guy who basically is what he is. He's a 20-1 guy, and that's it. Or do you see further upside? Well, I know you see further upside. He was one of your uh, bold predictions in the in the preseason at Rotograss, was he not? Uh, he was Eno's, actually, but he was – we talked about him, and, and – yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm wishy-washy on him. There, there are positives, there are negatives. So I can see the 25-30 home run upside. On the other hand, I could see the many warts and the 20 home run upside only. So I'm really not sure about Moustakas. Yeah, I mean, the early going, the thing that sticks out to me looking at what he's done is he's got a 25% infield fly ball rate, which is crazy. He's, he's popping up a lot, of, a lot of cans of corn when Moustakas is at the plate. And he's got a nice fly ball rate overall, which, you know, would make you think maybe some power is coming. But because a lot of those aren't even leaving the infield, it, it's tough to really get a handle on. It, it's really tough to analyze his batter ball profile when he's popping up a quarter of the balls. Uh, they're not going more than 180 feet. So, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of Royals games to really get my eyes on. And again, I'm not a scout by any means. But, you know, usually when a guy's struggling, you want to you want to take a look and see if anything jumps out at you. But uh from what I read, he just looks a little lost. A lot of people are saying he's still a buy low because it should come. What about you? I'm curious what you think well, uh, about I, him because I don't really have an answer. I, I think he's definitely a buy low in AL only leagues. I mean, this is his batted ball profile is a little crazy right now. 60% of fly balls is going to kill your batting average on balls on play. And he was never good at that to begin with. So he's not going to contribute to batting average. This is a 250 hitter. However, Contact rate is much improved. His walk rate is up. So there are good signs there. My concern is he's, he's going to get benched against lefties. I think he was on the bench either today or yesterday against the lefty. Miguel Tejada started. So I'm very concerned that he's going to lose playing time uh, if he keeps struggling to lefties in Tejada. It's ridiculous, but Tejada's going to be facing lefties. So you got to get that grit in the lineup, though. Of course. Miguel, you got to get that veteran I, presence. Yeah, he's the, better, the will he's to win. 38 years and... And, uh, I mean, if he's still using that, what, vitamin B or whatever that he got caught with, uh, I don't even remember what that was. But it's, I mean, many questions here. And you see that fly ball rate, and it's exciting, but his batted ball distance is nothing special. But then you look at his minor league track record, and and then that suggests great power. So... I just don't know what to make of him. And I'm sure a lot of fantasy owners are in the same position. I think it would be quite cheap to buy him low in an AL only. But I just don't think he has that much value in a 12-team mixed league to begin with. Well, I mean, third base is a, little, is a little thin. So, I mean, he's definitely worth, you know, sending out a couple feelers. I wouldn't give up, uh, you know, a, a terrific third baseman for him or, you know, even a, a top prospect if your league does prospects. But if someone is you know, like the league you mentioned, borderline dropping him. Yeah, I, I think it's still early enough and, and there's enough positives in the profile that you say, yeah, take a shot and, and you know, give it another another couple weeks and see if anything corrects. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Are you going to talk about any of, the, uh, any of the early power breakout candidates on that list that are doing good? <laughs> well, we could. I mean, Dexter Fowler, I think we talked about him uh, on a previous podcast. Yeah, and I don't feel that great about predicting him because i mean a lot of people id'd it he's been really good to the eye test for a while but he is uh he's awesome yeah and of course nothing in his profile in the minor league suggested that there was some 25 home run power hidden in there so i mean it's, it's re- again it's it's hard to believe that he's going to be able to say, sustain this home run for fly ball spike 
Yeah, overall, though, he's just, uh, I mean, if you bought him with a, with a power breakout in mind and, you know, the power kind of cools off, I don't think you'll be disappointed still, especially if you play in an OBP league. He's just turned into one of the better all-around players in baseball. I've been really impressed with him in the early going, and I'm happy about it because he's a guy I've liked for uh, for a couple years now. And I think a lot of a lot of fantasy people um, kind of been waiting for him to put it all together. Yeah, um, I'm embarrassed to say, but I think I may have projected him to hit seven home runs all season. You know what, though, if if it wasn't there in the minor leagues and there there weren't a ton of signals, um, you know, Coors Field is going to help with with a lot of that. Like you and I could probably hit ten home runs a piece if we played 162 <laughs> games there. Right. <laughs> I would be happy to get that many balls into the outfield. <laughs> yeah, if I could make contact with 10 balls yeah. over a major league season, I, I'd be pumped. That would be amazing. All right, and the last guy that we can talk about is Alex Gordon. He also showed up on that power breakout list. He had his third home run today, and he he's a mystery to me because here's a guy. He had 29 home runs back in A. In 2006, and 486 at bats, he was that huge, huge prospect, and he's disappointed. I mean, obviously, he did well in 2011 in an overall season in, in real baseball. He was good fantasy because he stole 17 bases, but really, he only hit 23 home runs. I think a lot of people were expecting him to be a 30 to 35 home run guy by now. Yeah, and that's the thing. He he's a guy who is disappointing for fantasy purposes, maybe as, as a major league player so far, but. Not at all if you're the Kansas City Royals. He's been uh, he's been pretty pretty good as an all-around player. This year, um, the isolated slugging is up a tick from last year, somewhere in between his previous year and 2011. Um, the extra hits are going to come. I think right now his, uh, his batter ball profile has way more ground balls than we're used to seeing from him. He's up to almost uh, 50% ground balls. The fly balls are down a little bit, and the line drives are down a little bit. So when that corrects... I mean, you might see a small decrease in the batting average on balls in play, which is 424 right now. But he's shown he can be a, a high batting average on balls in play guy. Um, you know what? Even if he ends up with 16, 18 home runs and 10 or 12 stolen bases, yeah, it's not what we expected as he was coming up. But I don't think he's going to be a disappointing fantasy player by any means. And um, the fact that he showed up as a power breakout is kind of, a farce because he had his huge 2011 and a down 2012, but it does look like so far he's splitting the difference at least between those two seasons. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that his career high home run per fly ball rate is only 12.6%. And if you knew this years ago and, and you told the world, oh, he's only going to be capable of that mark, you'd probably get laughed at because I would think that he would be capable of at least a 15% rate given his minor league power. So he seems like a guy that one of these years that could happen. I mean, to me at least, that big breakout is still potentially in the cards. Given his great plate discipline, his good walk rate, he makes pretty decent contact. So I don't think it would be a shock if one of these years he does hit that 30 home runs. It's just a matter of predicting beforehand when that year is going to be. Yeah, I, I could see that as well. I could see a, a big burst like that. Um... Or, you know, at the same time, I could see a string of, you know, 20 home run, 300 batting average seasons, which is just fine for me, too. That that would play a little nicer had he stuck at third base, of course. Um, but, yeah, and it's a thing, too, where if you're the Royals, maybe you were hoping he was going to be this big slugger. 
But with the value he's provided you over the last couple seasons, you're not telling the guy to change a thing. Right. And, and imagine if the Royals got big, big breakouts, like 30 home runs from both Alex Gordon and Moustakis, and Eric Hosmer finally also reached his minor league potential, and he hits 25, 30 home runs. To go along with Billy Butler and Escobar and maybe a breakout from Lorenzo Cain, this offense potentially at its peak, if everybody hit their peak, it would be a freaking amazing offense, perhaps one of the best in the league. Yeah, and there's also the Jeff Francoeur rebound we've oh, all been right. waiting for since 2006. Yeah. can always hope Jeff Francoeur finally learns how to differentiate between a ball and a strike. It's certainly not likely. That walk rate of his is down uh, under 4%, I think, which is... No, Jeff Francoeur not walking? I don't believe it. But, like, e- e- even not walking an extreme amount for him. <laughs> uh, but he's fun. Uh, anyway, we're going to finish things off by moving back to the pitching side of the ledger. And uh, you've been writing up some streaming options uh, each week on Fangraphs. So tell us about what your process is for determining the best options to stream. And uh, I'm particularly curious how you differentiate between pitcher quality and the opposition quality. So do you go more for the quality of the pitcher or do you look at whoever's facing the Marlins or the Astros? Uh, it's a little bit of both. So basically my process is I – because keep in mind I'm dealing with Friday and Saturday streaming options. So I've got a pool of 60 starting pitchers to work from. I don't do Sunday just because Brandon Warren does the uh, two-start pitchers earlier in the week. And anyone who's you know a streaming option Sunday probably would have been covered in his two-start pitchers because they would have likely started Monday or Tuesday as well. Um, so I'm dealing with a pool of about 60 starters – and then you've got to cut that down uh, to an ownership level below 50%. Uh, I use ESPN usually just because that gives me a slightly bigger pool because I, I think their standard leagues are a little smaller than CBS or Yahoo. Um, but then from there, basically, I look and, you know, you, you can filter out right away if a guy is just a terrible starter. Like if, you know, if a, I don't want to pick on anyone, but if, it, say, Jeff Francis is going, I'm probably not touching him right now until he's had a couple good starts in a row. And then, I mean, in terms of balancing pitcher quality and matchup quality, because you're looking at guys that are below 50% ownership, you're kind of accepting some pitcher quality caveats to begin with. Yeah. So what I look at is, and again, we're dealing with small samples at the team level right now too, but I, I look at how teams have hit off a certain handed pitcher and then try and dive into that a little more. You know, if they're uh, if they're a team that starts lefties against lefties and all of their lefties can't hit lefties, you know, that's a big sign. And then, of course, you look for a strikeout rate. The streaming the Strohs strategy yeah. has been uh, pretty profitable in the early going. Um, you know, if not as much for streaming options over the weekend in Fangraphs the game, if any of you play that, uh, they've been fantastic because the strikeouts pile up and because of the way Fangraphs' game is structured, um, getting lit up doesn't hurt that much because the Astros actually have a decent offense. Anyway, um, I don't I don't focus on win potential a ton, mostly just assuming because if a team is really poor at the plate off a certain handedness, um, you're going to have a good shot at winning anyway. And then, so yeah, I look at the strikeout potential and, and then if that particular team is not a strong hitting team. So uh, about what you'd expect, but with, uh, with the caveat in mind that I'm dealing with a pretty small pool. And some weekends, like last weekend, that's a little thin. 
Yeah, I mean, that's basically what I look at like when I play some of the daily leagues as well. And it's just a little difficult early in the season when even the team stats, we, we're still dealing with a relatively small sample size. So we can look and see that a team offensively struggles against lefties, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to continue to. They, they could just be off to slow starts. It's a small sample. Maybe they've only faced a few lefties, and so the sample is even smaller than you would expect uh, compared with another team that has a, um, a, a bigger sample against left-handed pitchers. So it's difficult early this year to really get a handle on how good some of these offenses are. And it seems like to me... The Reds, for example, I mean, all that on base percentage, the top of the lineup, and yet every time one of my pitchers, like Homer Bailey, pitches, they just don't score runs, and it boggles my mind. How do you get on base that often and you don't score runs? Yeah, and that's that's going to happen in this uh, in this early going. Uh, my Jays are another good example. So far, their OBP is absolutely terrible, and all these guys are hitting solo home runs, so they're not putting up a ton of runs. But there's going to be games against them where there's guys on base for all those home runs. So you got to be careful you have to dive in a little bit more than just looking at the surface stats. Uh, a good example was this weekend, I had Wade LeBlanc as a streaming option against the Cubs because the Cubs don't hit lefties well. Or anybody for that matter. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Wade LeBlanc didn't pitch terribly if you watched, but he didn't pitch well to Anthony Rizzo <laughs> and Rizzo hit a pair of bombs off of him. And, and you know, that's all it takes to ruin a start is, is one guy to go off. So, you do have to be careful. Luckily for me, it was a good weekend this weekend, and I needed one coming off of a, a pretty poor weekend last weekend when uh, the options were very, very thin. But uh, a guy we were going to talk about, I think we're probably running a little tight on time. I don't know if we'll get to him, but Andrew Kashner was a, a guy I did as a streaming option this weekend. I know you're a big fan of his, and he looked great. Yeah, I, it was funny because Andrew Kashner was facing Lincecum, and I own both in various leagues. So... It was basically the perfect result when you have a pitcher facing each other. You want a one nothing game or a 2-1 to one game and making sure that you get a win from one of those pitchers. And that's exactly what happened. Plus, I got a save from Houston Street. So that's like the dream game for me. But is, is he, Let me ask you, since you've, uh, you've probably watched a couple then, if you, if you own Houston Street, has he looked as bad as the stats say in the early going? Because I, I keep looking, and it's... I, I know when injury is coming, so it's not a big deal anyway, but it sure feels like Luke Gregerson should be the closer at this point. Yeah, I've um, been worried about Street for uh, a little bit now. He was walked more than he struck out. He's not getting swinging strikes. And when I've been watching him pitch, he hasn't looked very good because he's been giving up hard contact. His command just wasn't good. He was throwing pitches out of the zone. And I, in previous seasons, haven't really watched Houston Street very often. So when I see him throwing 87-mile-per-hour fastballs, I'm like, how has this guy managed strikeout rates so high and induce so many swinging strikes? But, I mean, this is what he's always done. He's been 89, 90 with his fastball, and he's looked better the last couple of games. So I think I'm kind of getting off the ledge, and I'm not as panicky as I had been. But given his injury history, you just never know the street. So. Yeah. Make sure that Luke Gregerson is uh, on your your page so you can immediately click the add player button as soon as you read the news. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kashner, you're, uh, I mean, I know you were, you were hot on him in the preseason, I think. Um, me as well. I was a little surprised he didn't make the rotation right away. But I'm, uh, I'm scooping him up where I can and hoping the Padres keep him in the rotation. Yeah, well, I'm a little annoyed at the Padres for putting him in the rotation immediately because I already dropped him in one of ah. 
my I dropped him in my Tout Wars League. Who it's a four man bench, and I needed to pick somebody else up. And of course, a week and a half later, he's put into the rotation. I'm like, you couldn't wait a couple of weeks. <laughs> so, yeah, and I was also hoping that he would be dropped in the other leagues that I don't already own him. Uh, if people ran out of patience waiting for him to be put into the rotation, but he's already in the rotation, so. If he's somehow still available in any leagues, obviously scoop him up. I mean, this is a guy who could potentially strike out nine to ten batters per nine innings and really help in the ERA and whip categories. So, yeah, clearly. He's, he's another guy like Singrani we talked about earlier, too, that you relies heavily on his fastball. But he's got that nice fastball change uh, separation of about 10, 11 miles an hour. And then one thing that I noticed, um, I don't know if it's going to hold up as he – starts but he he's really good at using the change up when he's behind in the count so you know guys normally you work a, a friendly hitters count you can sit on the fastball and try and catch up with it but he throws the uh, he gets the change up over in hitters counts a lot which is a, a good way to balance out a heavy uh, heavy fastball usage yeah so we're both fans of Kashner and I think that's going to be a requirement from now on for being a guest on the sleeper of the bust if you're not a fan of Kashner you will not be on the show with me I apologize <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's going to wrap it up tonight. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Blake Murphy, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.